So if you're still at the back, just fixing a cup of something, just come back quietly. Y'all come back. Y'all come back now, you hear? We need you. Yeah. Great. Hi, welcome back. Thank you. Good to have you. Thank you yeah, so I'm much. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for Gordy and Kathleen. Thank you for the friends that they are. Thank you for the leaders that they are. And thank you for how earnestly both Kathleen and Gordy seek you and long to hear your voice and how passionately they hold this community in their hearts and in their prayers. And just thank you for the the protection and the favor and the authority and all of the things that we enjoy because of the good shepherds that they are to us. Lord, I thank you that you've already been speaking to Gordy about what, uh, what you want for us to hear today and, and what your heart is for us for the year. I pray that you would prepare our hearts today by the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for, uh, Holy Spirit, for your sweetness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your gentleness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your for your mother's heart and compassion that just holds us wherever, whatever state that we're in. And, uh, and I thank you, sweet Holy Spirit, for the way that you will hold and guide and lead Gordy today, just uh, like, a, like a mama hen, like a, un, with him under your wing, with just you guiding him. Lord, thank you. Thank you, sweet spirit. Thank you for your presence here today. Mm. Yeah, I just have such a strong sense right now of, of the of the mother heart, mm. of the the um, identity of the Holy Spirit as um, just identified as as a female aspect or presence as times as you know I know that can be presented as wisdom and I don't want to be heretical but that's just the very strong sense I have now is just that womanly mothering heart just overseeing this whole message and really guiding us into um, just that, that gentle and that gentle comforting way of a mom to say, come on, come on, I'll in here. So I thank you for how you're going to speak through Gordy and to Gordy today, and thank you for how you're already doing that, and just bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Joanna. Appreciate that. Good morning, and once again, Happy New Year. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, we were uh, left r- right after uh, Christmas Eve service early the next morning, actually right on Christmas Day, uh, to be with our, our, our family in Calgary, which is a very, very uh, expansive term for us when we say family in Calgary. Uh, it's kids, it's grandkids, it's, it's parents, it's brothers, sisters, uh, it's massive, so we like to say Lagores galore, uh, although it's not all Lagores either. It's Kathleen's side of the family is there as well. But today I want to I wanna introduce our new year. I get to do the first message of the new year, so in some ways it's a bit like a new year's message. Um, but normally the first Sunday of the month, we call it family stories these days, and it's because we value uh, the stories of God that are going on in our community. And this is also the second Sunday of Christmas. And if, if you're not familiar with the liturgical year, it, it can sound a bit strange. But, 
Basically, uh, in the church here, there's actually 12 days of Christmas. Many of us grew up uh, as if there was one day, and it was either uh, December 25th, if you're a Western Christian from the Roman Catholic and Protestant tradition, or it was January the 6th, if you're Eastern Orthodox from the Eastern, uh, either Ukrainian, woohoo, any Ukrainians here? I've been getting in touch with my inner Ukrainian. And um, had a little kubasa and things like that over the... And then um, um, uh, uh, Russian Orthodox, uh, Greek, uh, they all celebrated on January the 6th. And there was a reason for that. Nobody knows exactly the day that Jesus was born. In fact, it probably was a totally other time of year. But we use the calendar as a teaching tool. Uh, because the story of Jesus is our story that we're stepping into. And so the whole incarnation of God coming into the world is very important for us to follow. And, and so the Christmas, uh, the, the church in its wisdom regarded uh, Christmas as a season, not a day. And I think that's God's wisdom. God works in seasons. Have you noticed that? He doesn't usually go, okay, you're done. Go here. You know, it doesn't, life doesn't work that way. He doesn't jerk us around. It often is... Very seasonal, and you know, when you in, in Vancouver, that line between summer and fall gets a bit blurred sometimes, and then fall and and winter, and you know, some some days you have all four seasons in one day, and you know, it it's like that, and and uh, and so God is a God of seasons, and so the in the church calendar they regarded the twelve days of Christmas as actually beginning on what we know as Christmas Day, the twenty fifth. And then each day following. So actually today we're on the 11th day of Christmas. And tomorrow will be the 12th. And then January 6th will be what's called Epiphany. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Uh, Epiphany. And Epiphany was traditionally the celebration of the Magi. Which a lot of Christians didn't give their gifts away until that day because of that. They felt that the giving of the gifts... The Eastern Orthodox practice that the giving of gifts happened on the 6th. But even Western Christians, uh, many uh, do not give gifts until the 6th because of the act of the three, or we don't know if it was three, but these strange guys, strange spirituality. I think they were from Commercial Drive or something. And uh, they had this mix of Eastern, they followed the stars, and they were mystics, and yet somehow they were hungry for God. They were hungry for Jesus to meet him. And uh, just, I love that story. It was actually one of the stories that compelled me to Vancouver, was the story of the Magi, where Jesus spoke to me, to me uh, 25 years ago and said, this city is filled with people like that, like these Magi. Just the institutional churches let them down, but they're still hungry for Christ. And, uh, and so um, the colors of this time of year, you notice... Uh, are kind of gold and yellow, and I found that out, so I had to adjust my PowerPoint colors. I did the best I could um, to, to, to this time of year, and uh, so I thought, I thought that how appropriate for a time of family stories to tell you stories about my family. I mean, it's, it's overdue. I mean, I, I haven't shown you grandkids' pictures for, for ages, and I've seen many of you suffering withdrawal from that, and uh, so just, I, I want to quickly tell you a little bit about our time away, because I think it speaks to what I want to share today. 
uh, after a remarkable Christmas Eve service. Wasn't that incredible? How many made it for that Christmas Eve? This place was almost packed. We had a bunch of people come in from the neighborhood. We started in total darkness. I love the liturgical attempts that we made. And I, I, think, I think the Lord's presence was just so... It was just the best Christmas Eve service I've ever been in, in my life, seriously. It was just so fun. And uh, the, very early the next morning, we, ran to, we, we, we rushed to the airport to catch a connecting flight to Calgary, uh, only to find out it was canceled uh, or, or in danger of being canceled because of a snowstorm in Castlegar. They say, why fly through Castlegar if you're going through Calgary? It's called points, my friends. It's called using points in October to buy a ticket on Christmas Day. That will get you a connecting flight in Castlegar. Just saying, just a little wisdom from an older guy, just saying, all right? So anyway, we found out our flight probably wouldn't go that day, and so, of course, it's Christmas Day. We only have a few hours to get there for the, for the meal, and uh, so I went up to an Air Canada counter, and uh, they put us on a direct flight, and we got there a couple hours sooner, so that was nice. And uh, we had a, a beautiful, warm welcome, and uh, the nativity scene was waiting for us in Marcus and Dee's house. Um, and then uh, uh, our, our kids and grandkids were all waiting for us. This is Kathleen with, with Annalise. And uh, beautiful cards, handcrafted cards made for our grandkids. We just had a remarkable uh, Christmas Day with, with our son and our daughter and Marcus, her husband, who many of you have been praying for because after a serious accident a couple years ago. He's just doing so incredible, doing so well. And then Boxing Day, what's a Boxing Day without shinny? So the very next day, my grandson, who uh, was born a few blocks away from here, uh, went out and, and in this rink next door in Ranchlands where, where Marcus and Dee live, there was an intergenerational shinny game pickup. The guys were amazing, some great hockey players, but they just gathered in everybody of any age, didn't matter what their skill or ability was. They were playing shinny. So Samuel, some big guy didn't watch where he's going, knocked the wind right out of Samuel. Samuel got up, back up, and scored a goal. And I just told him he's a true Canadian. He's, he should just be missing a few teeth. Then, then he'd be truly Canadian. But it was so fun. But that day we went to my, my, uh, my wife's family's uh, her, her sister and, and brother-in-law, David Swan, is, has been leader of the Liberal Party in, in Alberta, which is kind of like being, oh, I could think of a lot of metaphors for that, but let's stop right there. Um, and, uh, but he's still in politics, and they're a great family. They're both medical doctors, and so they're children and grandchildren. And Tandy, their daughter, just had a book release. There was actually a book release here in Vancouver about her incredible story of adopting Mark, who's a Ugandan-born he, he was discovered in the bottom of a, a, of a latrine and, and abandoned. And so she found him in an orphanage and, and the long story of his adoption. He's now an incredible hockey player, just amazing, uh, in Calgary. So I want, I want to brag about Samuel a little bit. Now Samuel, of course, he was born here in Vancouver. He's a Vancouver baby. He tells me as soon as he's old enough to, to be able to do it, he's moving here. He's moving back. He wants to come and live with us. We already have a deal. He's going to go to UBC and... He wants to be an assistant pastor, so, you know, you know, uh, uh, we'll have a multiple staff at that point. We'll be large enough to do that. And, um, and uh, about a month ago, I got a text, and I don't know if you can see it on here, but it's at the top. All it said was, hi. That's all I got was a text. It was my first text ever from my grandson. 
And it said Samuel at the top. I couldn't believe it. I thought, my Sam, my, my grandson, he sent my... So it's Sam. My dad helped me get your text. I said, awesome, Sam. Great job. I've entered your contact info on my phone. Cool. And you notice he seems to like emoticons. Hi, Grandpa, he said. So the next slide. He says to me... Uh, um, he said, hi, Grandpa, and this is, he caught me out in Toronto in, at the end of November. You remember I was there? I told him I was flying back. And then I said, yeah, I'll be flying back. Uh, I'm, and then he asked me later, are you back in Vancouver? I said, yes, I am. I flew home last night, putting up our Christmas tree today. And then he said, the sooner I see, see you, the sooner I have joy. <laughs> just, just saying, just wanted you to see that. And then, then, then there was a, we had some banter about the Stampeders winning the Grey Cup. Gordy Gibosh is very happy about that. Um, and then I couldn't, one time he texted me and he said, um, hi, Grandpa, and I couldn't figure out, you know, I'm not really with it, you know, still an old guy pushing buttons. So I said to Ginny, our homestead, I said, what do you say to a 10-year-old, you know, I, I want something. She says, hey, just say, hi, Samuel, what's up? Can I get a pic? I miss you. I okay, I typed that in, and he thought I was really cool, you know, when I did that. So, uh, so the next, uh, I think he, he immediately, uh, next one, next slide, he sent me his pick, and then he wrote, the Vancouver Canucks beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. I love that. And that's his picture. So I said, yay, Canucks. So just, just letting you know, you know, that's, that's my grandson. We did a lot of driving around in Calgary, and so the next slide is for another car trip. Even though we have family there, Calgary's a bit of a large city. I mean, it's... Uh, it's a bit spread out, so, so there was a lot of driving. And on the third day there, we were with my, my extended family, my parents, my brother, my sister. And this is a shot of my mom uh, with Alina, our youngest granddaughter. Um, uh, four generations there. That's our son, Christian. And uh, so in summary, just summarizing the grandkids again, and just in case you missed it, uh, Samuel, uh, he is now 10, born here in Vancouver, planning on coming back, as I said. Annalise is eight, and she's remarkable, because last Sunday, Marcus and Dee were both ministering and preaching in the church that they attend. It's a church congregation of close to a 1,000 people in the, in the north side of, of Calgary, and Marcus has been engaged more. He's, still, he's not on staff, but, but he's been preaching more. So he had to preach that Sunday, and it was the same Sunday that Danielle was um, uh, leading worship. And so we had planned on actually being away that Sunday, but of course, when we found that out, of course, we're going to be there. And so we, our responsibility was to come later and bring the four grandkids, and um, that was our responsibility. Well, it felt like we had absolutely nothing to do. This girl was like mom to all the little ones, got them dressed, you know. Uh, the only thing we, we forgot a little bit later, as we were driving home, Danielle says, somebody forgot to brush their teeth. And so I guess they had a bit of elephant breath. But other than that, it was amazing. So then the third one is Hannah. This is Hannah. Uh, she is amazing. When Marcus was in the hospital, she would walk into the, into the reception area, singing at the top of her lungs, Jesus loves me. This It was ringing through the whole hospital room. She's got the most uh, incredible energy. I've never seen anybody go up the water slide faster than they go down, but she does. And uh, in the summertime, she would wake up quite early in the morning, so we would take turns taking her out to the playground. So at 7 a.m. over at Templeton, I'm swinging her on the swings in the early keeners. The joggers are going around the track. 
And she's singing at the top of her lungs, let it go, let it go. And I can see, I can see the joggers just laughing their heads off. Anyway, her legend, uh, she's legendary. And then the youngest one is Alina. And uh, Alina is, is quite an inch. She's two and a half now. Hannah's four? Yeah, Alina's two and a half. And uh, so last Sunday, I brought her into the church and I took her to the preschool, and I was the guy that had to check her in. I got to do the sign-in. I was so excited. Guess what they hand you? A little pager. <laughs> I got my own pager. So they, I said, well, what's that for? They said, well, if we need you, we'll call you. And uh, I said, well, uh, okay, you know. So I get to where I'm sitting in the church, and the, fl- the pager's flashing. <laughs> so I go back, and I said, what's up? She says, I want to stay with Grandpa. So I had to bring Alina back into the service. So she watched her mom lead worship and then her daddy preached. And while her daddy was preaching, I was taking notes and she started to help me. So this is a little bit of an idea of some of the notes that she was helping me taking notes during Marcus's sermon. Now she's not quite as innocent as she looks because she really loves the word butt crack these days. <laughs> and, and so she was saying it a lot and, and we're all trying to figure out who to blame, of course. It was somebody else she'd heard. And um, so I'm, I'm taking her out of the car, and, I'm, and, and she's in her seat. She looks at me, and she goes, butt crack. <laughs> and I said, Alina, I don't, I, I said, don't call Grandpa butt crack. <laughs> and she looks at me just with these big eyes, and she says, Annalise is a butt crack. <laughs> well, <clears throat> anyway, discipline continues on. We're working on that one. So, uh, just, uh, I am a person of routine, as you know. I like my, my schedule, get up, pray, run. All that was out the door for eight days uh, because of blizzards, because of sickness, because of children, because of life in the fast lane. Uh, but uh, we made it to New Year's Eve, and, and what's New Year's Eve without a Swiss guy making chocolate fondue there? And, um, and the next shot, Alina enjoying her chocolate fondue. And then on New Year's Day, we went out to Big Hill Springs. Did they have that? Oh, Gordy's not here. Yeah, you probably know where that is, just north of the city. Incredible little park. And then a little shot of us all getting together. But in the last couple of days, I got hit with a stomach uh, flu. So my smile there is not really like a joyful smile. It's more like a kind of smile. But uh, I just didn't want to let the sickness uh, keep me down. Um, and uh, so we, we weathered the storm and, and have come back a little woozy, still getting better. But, uh, but it, was, it was just an awesome time. And, and, and in spite of the incredible joy that we had, there, there was pain. And I don't mean just the sickness. But as probably you experienced, there was, there, there, there was, there was some hard times. Christmas, as you know, can be the the hardest time of the year. And I remember as our kids were growing up, especially as they went through their teen years, uh, some of our most painful family times were at Christmas time. It just seemed like all hell would break loose. And uh, it certainly wasn't like that this time, but there still were some, let's just say some bouts. There were just some, some you know, you can't have that much family and extended family uh, all in one city at the same time without having some pain. And family's like that, isn't it? Family is kind of heaven and hell all at the same time. You can't have more heaven and hell packed into one entity than in family. 
And I think it has to do with expectations. I think it has to do with the intensity of intimacy, uh, the, the um, hopes that come with family, the love that comes with family. And I felt, I think it was epitomized by one of my family members being asked at one of our family events. She was asked this, and this is in our extended family, what was your favorite Christmas memory? And she responded by saying, I can't remember a good Christmas. And and the people there, I wasn't there at the time, I heard about it later, the people that were there were shocked because they knew that she'd had incredibly wonderful years of wonderful Christmases with her family. And, And it was like she went into this shock where she went, well, of course, what am I saying? But what she meant was, is when she was a little girl, she'd had some painful experiences. And even though she was much older, those painful experiences still sabotaged her memory of her story. Isn't that amazing what happens? And I want to talk just about how we have this story that God is writing in our lives. But often there's alternative narratives. There's alternative stories that the enemy will try to sabotage the true story, the story that we are, are called to. And they're not our story. And I think it's illustrated by our text that I want to read. Very familiar text. We sang about it already in our worship set this morning. But the, the text goes like this. It's a familiar one from John. And, and I know that uh, our, our reading we announced was John 1, about Jesus being the light of the world. But we already read that at Christmas Eve, and I thought that this is, this is like... A, an example of how Jesus is the light, that he shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overpower him, cannot overpower the light. Let's look at the story together. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Now, I want us to just keep the slide there for a sec, and I want to make a couple of points. First of all, there's a storm. It's dark. We all know what that's been like this past year. We've probably had storms. If you've been alive and breathing, there's probably been conflict and opposition and adversity. And... For these guys, it probably wasn't that unusual to experience a a storm on the the Sea of Galilee. What was unusual is to see this apparition. And that's what scared them. And the reason is, is that there was a, a legend or a tradition that to see a spirit or a ghost in the middle of a storm on the water was an omen of certain death. It meant your time is up. It's over. You're going down. And so what seemed, if you can get the picture, we see the backdrop. We see what's going on. But if you can see what's going on from their perspective and reality. Someone once said it's not, it's not reality that affects us. It's our perceptions of reality. 
It's like the time I'm driving down the freeway. It was, this was in Calgary. I'm driving down the freeway, and I look behind me, and there's this car with his lights on, and I'd been speeding. And the, the, the red lights are flashing, and I remember my whole system went into overdrive and, and adrenaline, and I knew that I was, I was nailed. So I pulled over, and the cop pulled around and kept on going. He was chasing somebody else. You see, it, but it was my perceptions of reality that were affecting me. Same thing happened the other day. I was coming home from dry, dropping one of our international students off, I think. And uh, I, again, a flashing light in the rear view mirror. I thought, oh, no, do I look like I'm impaired? What's going on, you know? Same thing, pulled around me. So these perceptions, they, they assault our senses. And, and we need to understand that we are all being assaulted by perceptions of reality that are not real. They seem real because we read into circumstances. We read into uh, situations that we are in. We read into the memories. We read into the, them things that have happened to us in the past. And we're being informed by preconceived ideas. And these disciples were being informed by a perception that if you see a spirit, you're going down. And so what seemed to be the, 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 what should have been the best possible news for them. You think about it. What would be better news than the Son of God to come walking to you on the water in a storm? What, what could be better news than that? It actually, to them, was the worst possible news they could get. And there was two things that had to happen. And let's, let's go to the next slide. There was two things that had to happen. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. It's funny how John, he writes these gospel stories that everybody else has written about. But it's about, you know, a whole generation later. And he says, okay, well, you guys, you, you did okay, but you missed a few things. You forgot about the bit where, where we got, like, beamed from the middle of the lake to the shore? Like, did you forget about that? Right? But the first thing was, is they had to hear his voice in the storm. They had to hear his voice saying, it's I. And I would say the first thing towards taking back your story is listening for Jesus in the midst of the storm where you think he's gone where you think he's absent, where you think it's open, he's still speaking there and listen for him. I can't tell you the kinds of storms I've been. I'm only 57 years old, but I feel like I've seen every storm that a human being can see. I was just talking to my daughter on the other day and she was talking with my grandkids for the first time about the fact that I lost my little sister when, when I was 10 years old. And we talk, talked to the story about when we got the news that she was born without a a bodily part, and she would only have two and a half years to live. And what it was for my brother, who was one year younger than me and my sister, and this little girl was the cutest, most happy, joyful. She was born without a part in her stomach that caused her, to, her body to bloat up at the age of two and a half years old. She was yellow, and her body was bloated up, but she was always so happy. She was just the most joyful. If you can imagine Danielle's personality and, and Hannah and just... Kathleen, I mean, just, just this incredible personality of, of joy and life. And she brought so much joy to us. And I remember us putting her in a little box when she died. And my dad giving us permission to try to raise her from the dead. And, 
And I remember my grandkids, did, my, my oldest grandson, Samuel, he, he was struggling with the story because he was thinking about Alina, who's now two and a half years old, the same age that Cheryl was when she died. And I was able to tell these kids, you know what? You know what was the most incredible thing for me that I can remember as a 10-year-old? Through the pain of losing my little sister was the presence of God. I remember the presence of God was probably stronger in my life during that time, or at least as strong as any other time that I felt it. I don't understand why she didn't get healed, because I believe in healing, but I know that I felt the presence of God. And so it's, it's, it's recognizing that in the storm that Jesus is there and listening and watching for him. And I felt that. I mean, I, I felt that with this past year. I feel that this story is so descriptive of past, the past year. I remember we just celebrated our 25th uh, anniversary as a church. And, and it was one of the most moving events of my life. Because you don't take 25 years, pack it into two hours, and tell the story without being touched by that. It just, it, I, just, I just wept and wept. And, and just having the, the, the greeting sent to us from around the world, and my daughter showing up and singing, and oh man, it was just, it was, you guys just did an incredible party. And we were all going, hey, we love season seven. Remember we divided our church life into seven seasons? And, and two weeks later, I get a call from the Salvation Army. And it was the worst news I could ever imagine. It was the worst news I could get. That we were being evicted from our building because very reluctantly they'd made the decision to sell commercial and first property. They apologized to us. They said that the only reason they'd stayed open was because of us. But they felt it was now time to sell. And when I got the news, I remember walking out and it was this story that God spoke to me. He said, don't let what seems to be the worst possible news you could get rob you of the fact that it's actually the best. It's actually the best news you could get. And you know what? There was something about that that just ushered me into the next four months. I just felt, you know, the disciples let Jesus come to them to the boat. And I felt that was to be my posture in getting, getting ready for the next building. Is that we weren't going to be slack. We were going to be diligent and look for opportunities. But but that God wanted to come to us. I almost felt like this came to us. He brought it to us. And all we had to do was be listening and watching for him. And as we listen for him and watch, he comes and you take him into the boat. Now, there's some boats in your lives this morning. You're not ready for Jesus to come on board yet, but he wants to. Just like this lovely relative of mine who had some Christmases that she didn't want him to come into. But my sense was that he was going to come and that we need to let him on board when he does. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we listen? And how do we bring Jesus on, the board, on board our boat in the storm? So we can take back the story. So we can get the right story happening, not the wrong narratives. So we can get out of those wrong narratives in our lives. How do we do this? Well, it goes back to my, my first full sermon in, or my last full sermon in 2014, and you, which you all remember so well, in spite of everything that's been going on in your life. 
Remember, we talked about practices for staying in the right story. And uh, we talked about being a community of, of memory. And our homestay daughter, Hyunjin, had gone to Victoria that weekend. And she came back and she wrote a blog about... There's two things she said to me when she came back that really caught my attention about this. She wrote this blog about Victoria... And the first thing is, I, I looked up the blog, and I love the pictures, but I couldn't understand anything. Well, I could understand because I know a little bit of Korean now. But most of it I couldn't understand. But what I did understand was these words that said on her blog. This is what she calls her blog. And this was way before she ever met us. You are who you are because of what you remember. When you think about that. That's pretty scriptural, pretty biblical that the people of God suffered spiritual amnesia over and over again, and they forgot who they were and ended up in the wrong story. The second thing she said, and it's related to this being sabotaged by the wrong story, she, she noticed all these British symbols in Victoria, the buses, you know, the, the wax museum. She, and she said to me, I, I noticed that Canada... Canada is ruled by Britain, she said. She said to me, is it the same as when the Japanese occupied Korea? Is that the same? Is it the f-? Like she, she, she was asking me legitimately, like, is, that, is it still that kind of occupation? Of course, I went, oh, no, of course not. I said, it's, it's quite a bit of a different situation. In fact, you know, we love the queen. She's nice, but she's more of a symbolic authority now than, than actual authority, Right? And, uh, but then, then I said, but wait a minute. I think if you're First Nations, it probably is a lot like Korea being occupied by Japan. So it depends which story. Depends which narrative, right? To me, it was a fascinating conversation. And, and so our memory is so important, even into the, in those stories where we've been occupied. I don't know how many have seen the movie Unbroken yet. What a story. What a great story. See it. It's hard. But uh, the guy, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing story. And, and one of the most powerful moments, is, is it, without giving the story away, was where the, uh, the, the Japanese guard screamed at him and said, Don't look at me. Don't look in my eyes. Don't look at me. And he was beating him and torturing him and and he refused to look away. He refused to allow his enemy to become unhuman. And that's the most powerful thing about our message. That's the most powerful thing about the gospel. But we hold, it takes perseverance. So what are, I'm going to give you four aids to your memory this year. To, to listening to Jesus in the storm, to bringing him into the boat. Number one, sing. Everybody say Sing. You know, there's something about when I'm in a domestic, you know, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm in a, a marital conflict with Kathleen and life sucks and, you know, everything's going sideways, I'll start singing sometimes. Just as, a, as an act of warfare. I will. I'll just start singing. She does it too. I love you, Lord. And I live my own. It's just hard to stay miserable. It's just hard. It's hard to stay in that frame of mind that you suck, I suck, 
God sucks, everybody sucks. It's just hard to stay there, right? There's something about singing. And is it biblical? New Testament, Old Testament, be filled with the Spirit, singing to yourselves with songs, hymns, spiritual songs. Do it as an act of memory. Sing, even if you sing out of tune, even if you drive your loved ones crazy. Go out in the forest somewhere. The birds will love it, and God will love it. <laughs> sing. Such a simple thing, but armies were defeated in the Bible through singing. Just sing. Number two, be grateful. I start every day with, a, with almost a half an hour just thanking God. My prayer, my prayer is almost completely gratitude. I hardly spend any time in supplication, intercession. I do that because it's biblical, it's important. But I end up worship and praise ends up being being such an incredible thing for memory. Number three, read the story. If you don't like reading the Bible, get an audio Bible, but just start working your way through the story. And yes, there will be things that drive you crazy. Why did God say that? Why did they do that? They're all screwed up like the rest of us, right? Read the story. I read one chapter of the Old Testament every day, and then I read one pericope of the gospel. So a pericope is like a paragraph, and you will find those naturally divided in the NIV Bible. But other translations have it too. And I'll just do a Lectio Divina, where I'll just slowly read the gospel story, and I'll read one other chapter in the Bible. When I get to the end of the Old Testament, I'll read the Acts and letters of the New Testament. And I've just done that for you. It's just read, reread, reread. And you know what? Every time I read the Bible, the story changes. It's the same story, but I'm in a different place. So it's like layers, and God's always talking to me. I can't tell you how powerful the Word of God is. Uh, so, so whatever you have to do. And then I finish my devotions to go into a time of a prayer walk where I'll just read a psalm out loud. If it's Psalm 119, I break it up in a few days. But the rest, I just read a psalm out loud. And then I go out for my prayer walk. Anybody wants to do that with me sometime? You're welcome to go through that whole routine with me. I'm not saying you have to do it. That way, but it's good to just go with somebody else. You know, like I'm showing Samuel right now how to do deflections in hockey, and I'm and I'm doing gives and goes, and he's a great little athlete, but he's gonna probably find his own little but he, he learns from somebody who's been there. He said, Grandpa, this is so awesome. Well, I haven't played since I was 12 years old. I was so sore. But <laughs> but just going with somebody that's done it before is a good good way to start. And then take the no wine challenge. And the culture is kind of getting this. Uh, there's, there's signs you'll see everywhere. This one. This one's over at Laughing Bean. It says a $5 charge for whining. And then I like this one. There will be a $5 charge for whining, $10 for being a real pain in the butt. Charges for complaining, $0.10. Cents. Whining, 20 Pouting, 25 Crying, $0.50. Cents. No whining, crying outright, blubbering, or the likes thereof whatsoever. This is a respectable jail. I like that. <laughs> And here's my favorite, stop global whining. That's great. But in all seriousness, I've just been reading the story again. And I read the, the primary message of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They didn't get in because of whining. They didn't reach their goal because of whining. It's a language of hell, right? Now, the question is, is how... Do you deal with pain then? Because life hurts. Life is hard. 
And, and I think that the issue is I've read this story from Numbers over and over again where God over and over tolerated their complaining and sometimes they were judged, but then he'd forgive them and say, come on, let's... And he, 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 but, but what finally disqualified them, I think, from the promised land was where... Because you'll read Psalms. If you read the book of Psalms, the book of Lament, it's full of complaining. It's full of what we would call whining. But who are they doing it to? Who are they complaining to? God. They're talking to him. They're praying. You get the difference? What happened in Numbers and Deuteronomy? They're talking to their neighbor about God. They're gossiping about God. God's going to kill us. God brought us out here to die. God, you, 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 you know, the Egyptians are, are sure to hear about this story, about this crazy God that brought us out into the desert to kill us. Right? And so I would say that the primary distinction is this. God can take anything, anger, rage, even our feelings of hate sometimes. But he says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. But here's the problem. Here's where I think we struggle. We can't see God. We can't feel that he hears us. So sometimes a, earth and, a flesh and blood person seems a little bit more um, uh, solid and comforting for us. And I think that's scriptural. I think that that's important. I think that we need to be God to one another when we're hurting. I love, I've quoted to you often this little poem. I sought my God, and God I could not see. I sought myself, but self eluded me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. So we need, just like that little girl, a God with skin on. But it's important that we help one another come into the presence of God together. And so it's, it's, it's bringing our together, together being Christ to one another, being through this communion that we're going to celebrate in a minute. It's bringing us together before the Lord to receive his encouragement. And so for reflection... Just in summary of these, uh, these, mem- these aids to memory, what is a one or two minute God story that you could share from 2014 that would insist your memory going into 2015? I mean, I think my, I mean, there's so many God stories. The, the lower post trip was just one of the best we've ever had. Looking forward, my, possibly my grandkids being there this year, coming up with us. In, in, we're looking at maybe August this year. And, and that ongoing journey that we're having, it's just so exciting. Uh, but probably neck and neck for me was our 25th anniversary and then God opening the door into this facility has just been my God story. What's yours? Where have you seen God intervene? Would you be ready and willing to share that? Maybe even during our communion time? Come and have communion and then take somebody and just... Don't, don't rush out of here. Uh, talk to one another about God's stories. I know it's been hard for some of you. It's been hard for all of us in some ways. There's all, all of us have had adversity 
and we're hurting. But I think that's why we need each other's help to remember. Secondly, reflect on times in your life where you took on a story that was not yours. What factors led to it? You know, think about memory. What did you forget? What brought you back into your story and what can you learn? And finally, discuss the no wine challenge. What if in 2015 we said, no whining? Okay? No whining. Right? And what does that mean? Well, let's work that out. That's kind of what this question is about. The tension between needing to be honest about our pain. Okay? I don't want to go back into that church reality where you couldn't be open and real about suffering. And yet be people of faith that don't disqualify ourselves because of the words that come out of our mouth that poison. You know, you know the difference between somebody who's hurting and articulating their pain and somebody who's spewing and poisoning. And we've all done that, right? How can we as a community help each other live in that tension and bring Jesus into those narratives where we don't think he was present? And some of us, we need some help in our memory. There may be, you know, you may have a point in your memory that's like that family member who, who, who couldn't remember a good Christmas because the story had been sabotaged by early childhood. And often it is early childhood that sabotages our story. We need the Holy Spirit to come. We need to hear the Lord's voice and invite him to come on board. So let's get the kids, and we're going to prepare to celebrate communion this morning. And I'm going to invite Rick up and Joanna are going to serve us. I want to just quote a scripture over you uh, to bless you in preparation for this. One of our Our readings was from Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to speak it over you as a blessing for our communion. And uh, maybe while we're waiting for the kids, does anybody have a quick 30-second, one-minute God story that just has been burning in your heart in 2014 that you want to uh, just share? I think we've got a small enough group here You could just stand up and share where you are. Bunch of Canadians, you. I think the biggest God story that um, Dean and I saw this last year was the body of Christ at work and how... You guys rallied around us when I was so sick. And the meals and the just the everyday joy that you brought to us because we weren't alone. And we're just so grateful for all the love that was poured out onto us because it was is long and it's not over. So yeah. we're very thankful for it. The fasting, for the meals, for the care, for the love. Thanks, yeah. Rose. Beautiful. And we just continue to invite the Lord into into that story. Yeah. We continue to listen for him. Bless you guys. Bless you guys for doing that. Anybody else?
my squeaky chair. Yeah, that's right. We heard the same news article on CBC, if some of you missed that, uh, about sharethanksgiving.ca. And we've now, out of that simple little thing, uh, have friends for life, really, uh, since Thanksgiving. So incredible. I think for me, the thing I remember most about 2014, or as it stands out as I'm reflecting, is I just feel like there was miracle after miracle, particularly with financial provision for us as a church community. And for us as a family, too, it was, um, it was a challenging year financially. And we just continue to see God provide just again and again and again. Um, but I, I just, you know, I think so much we're in survival mode. But just to stop and reflect, there were so many times in the last year that we as a church went, yikes, how is this going to happen? And again, I mean, 10th Avenue waived our bill for our 25th anniversary in the end. They just said, don't even pay it. It's our gift. I mean, our camp debt was paid. (laughs) We even got into debt over a debt, and that debt was paid. Like, we just... The, the provision for this building, the, the provision for our wheelchair lift. Like, I think it's unbelievable. It's ridiculous. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm in awe that just, again, you know, this Christmas, it just happened for our family again. And I know that there are some people in this church who anonymously gave to our family um, this Christmas. So I'll just say thank you because it made a really big difference to us as a, as a family. So, yeah, I'm in awe. Yeah, just amazing. Amen. Beautiful. Is this helping your memory? Anyone else? Don't want to miss you if you're burning. Christine. Did you have fun down there? Yeah. Yeah, we had fun. Good. Yeah, they're great. They're awesome. What 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 time is it, Mr. Ice Cream Cone? Right. Wow. What time is it, Mr. Ice Cream Cone? Or chocolate chip mint with a cherry on top, or whatever. Yeah. All all wonderful flavors of children. <laughs> um, well, I I had a Christmas miracle this year. Um, 
Many years ago, well, how do I tell this short and sweet? Um, so Christmas in our house was usually a, a more stressful time of year um, and not fun. And so I didn't have a lot of great Christmas memories, mostly of people fighting. <laughs> and so when I, was growing, when I was in my 20s, my hope at Christmas was that I would someday get married and um, I'd have a family of my own. And we would have calm, hope-filled, fun Christmases, and that I would make new Christmas memories. But, you know, as years went by, that didn't happen. And so I kind of stopped looking forward to Christmas. And, um, and then a few years ago, not sure how many years ago, Gordy preached a series on Christmas, kind of like the reality of what Christmas would have been like for Jesus' parents and that it wasn't a happy, glowy, glitzy time. It was a dangerous time and a dark time. And I could really relate to that. I could relate to scary, dangerous Christmas. And then um, I've been doing a lot of work personally, with um, someone, and for the first time this year, for the first time in years, in mid-November, I found myself, without even thinking about it, getting excited about Christmas, and looking forward to Christmas, and I was like, wow, this is, this is a new thing, and I think it was because I had found the true hope in Christmas, that Jesus was my safe place, my, own, my only true safe place, and my only hope at Christmas. And, um, and then I, my mom came for a visit, and, um, and we had a really nice time, and for the first time in years, I wasn't angry and upset about something that she said, and that was like another miracle. And so it's been kind of a miraculous Christmas. So So beautiful. Well, Christine wasn't even here for my sermon, but she basically preached today through that story. That story is the message. So beautiful. Well, Lord, we just thank you so much for these stories. Thank you so much for the power of grace to to get us back into the right story when the wrong narrative sabotage us and lie to us, cause us to forget who we are, cause us to lose our memory. Thank you for your grace that just, you just keep coming to the boat. You keep saying, coming on the water. You keep walking there and saying, it's I, don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm in the midst of this. So I pray, Lord, that as uh, individuals, as a families, as a congregation, as a people, you would touch our eyes and our ears and empower us to see you, see you walking on the water, to hear your voice saying, it is I, to open our hands and our arms and to receive you onto our boat, into our lives, to receive you into those places that we've been reluctant to even open the door to, that you would empower us and give us the grace to live in the right story this year. 
Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, in that he has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love he predestined that we be adopted as his very own children by Jesus Christ and to himself. To the praise of the glory of his incredible grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and, and discretion, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, that in the fulfillment of the times he might gather together in one all things in heaven and in earth, in Christ. Even in him we have obtained an inheritance. So I want to bless you with those words from Ephesians as a benediction today. And Lord, we take this bread and we take this cup and we bless it We ask, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit that they would become the body and the blood of Christ that you said that if we eat and drink of that we would have eternal life in us, that you are the living bread, that those who come to you would never hunger, would never thirst again. We are hungry, Lord. We're thirsty. We come to you as the living bread, as the living water. So we bless these emblems, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Rick, just give us a couple of practicalities here. Okay. Here, use the mic. Okay.